I feel like shopping at the heart of it is a very social experience. It's about bonds and, you know, it's expressing love and affection and who you are and who you, all of those things. And I think that that is something that we need to find a way to build into the online experience more than we have done currently, because it's a sad thing that we can't do that in the same way any longer. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. Hey everyone, Alicia here. I think one of the things that I enjoy most about my work with Retail Touchpoints is getting the chance to not just speak with really smart people, but speak with people who are really passionate about what they do. And Vanessa Cartwright um, of Astound Commerce is definitely one of those people. She is the uh, Chief Client Success Officer of Astound Commerce, and she's had the chance to speak with a variety of brands and retailers across categories from luxury to CPG. And um, one of the things that she really brought to today's conversation is the bright spots, the examples of innovation, evolution, pivoting, that in light of all this uncertainty, all of the negative headlines and all of the bad news that we're all you know feeling overwhelmed by, she really brought some bright spots to the table that I think everyone listening can find ways to apply and some way to their businesses. So listen in. I hope you not only get some of those great nuggets that you can apply to your strategies moving forward, but you also get that inspiration to give you a bit of pep in your step for the rest of your day. So with that, meet Vanessa and enjoy our conversation. Vanessa, thanks so much for taking the time out. Excited to chat with you. Oh, yeah, you're very welcome. Looking forward to it. So um, we're going to dig into some of the work that Astound Commerce does with retailers, some of your broader observations around, you know, new retail trends and realities. But first, I thought a great underpinning of our conversation was around some new research that you guys have been doing around new consumer behaviors as a result of COVID-19. Obviously, there's a lot of data, a lot of insight around what retailers are doing to respond and adapt. But obviously, what the consumer is doing doing, thinking, and feeling really should drive everything, right? So we'd love to learn a little bit about your process for gathering the data, your objectives, you know, what was kind of the story that led to ultimately this research that you guys released? Right, absolutely. Well, we did the research study actually in two phases back now, which seems like such a, a little while ago in March. So we did two studies. The first went out on March the 9th with a, a quick follow-up on March the 16th. And you know, March the 9th, at that point, we were really only just starting to understand the potential impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and really wanted to understand and get a, a sort of snapshot from the kind of global consumer perspective of what they were feeling about uh, what was, you know, happening. And then, you know, as things changed extremely rapidly and, you know, retail essentially closed down, people were under, you know, stay-at-home orders, etc. we decided to go back into the field on March the 16th with a really fast follow-up to see, you know, if anything had significantly changed. So, you know, those were the drivers around the study to really understand, you know, how people were feeling and whether any of their behaviors were beginning to change even through that, you know, fairly short period of time. 
Yeah, I love the before and after because we were navigating such uncharted territory. We all, I think, collectively had no idea like what the larger, broader impact would be, not just on the industry at large, but on us as people. So I'm curious, uh, because this was kind of broken down into two phases, did you have any preliminary hypotheses or any inklings around how the results would evolve or, or even in a phased approach? Like, did you kind of think going in, okay, we kind of expect this to happen? And if so, I'd love to hear kind of the comparison between what you guys initially thought may be the results versus what you actually found, because I always find that juxtaposition uh, fascinating. Yes. I think going into the studies, you know, our initial hypothesis was, of course, that people would migrate relatively rapidly to shopping online, right? I mean, it sounds straightforward, but, you know, we wanted to, you know, assess to make sure that was really happening and that people were changing their behaviors that way. So it was a fairly straightforward hypothesis. And, you know, right in the first sort of a fielding of the study, you know, we didn't really understand the sort of the duration that we would be looking at and, you know, some of the other implications. What I think we found fairly quickly when we went back in just, uh, you know, a week or two later was that already the impact on the supply chain was was being felt. And I, I don't think that we had necessarily expected that when we began the study, but it was, you know, it was rapidly felt. And, you know, the other aspect that became very quickly apparent was that the kind of dichotomy between, you know, if somebody is in a uh, an essential category or a retailer is in something considered non-essential really started to replace sort of previous categorization of retailers, right, in through different types of vertical. And the two overwhelmingly important verticals were, are you essential or are you non-essential? So I think that evolved between the sort of the first phase of the study and the second phase. Great. And you you referenced the supply chain strain, but curious, what other other cases of like the domino effect, so to speak, did you see kind of emerging out of this research? Because like I said, with any consumer shift, there's ultimately an effect on retail businesses and some sort of indication of gaps or, or flaws in, in terms of how they're currently doing things. So, you know, how did, how did all this shake out, you know, with the shift to digital, with increasing demand for flexible fulfillment? I mean, what, what really rose to the top in terms of, oh, the, these really need to be priorities and they're not kind of getting the attention that is expected of them? I think I would organize that into sort of three buckets, if you like. I think in the, the first a number of retailers experience like tremendous demand, right? Tremendous traffic to their online stores. That was either because they were selling a, you know, essential product that people really needed to get rapidly, or they had a product that was becoming extremely relevant given the situation that people were finding themselves in. So products like, you know, toys and gardening supplies and crafts. I think everyone who's tried to order a jigsaw puzzle in the last while has realized that that's quite difficult. So I think in the first sort of bucket, I would say people whose traffic suddenly migrated 100% online and saw hugely increased demand for their product had a few issues to deal with, both in terms of just general site maintenance and performance, so that their sites were actually suddenly experiencing like holiday season and like traffic levels and they needed to basically just stay up and running because that's a, a big and unexpected shift. 
as well as dealing with how to kind of communicate, you know, inventory levels and potential shipping delays, et cetera, since the demand had increased sort of rather unexpectedly for particular products. So I would say that there's, there were some companies that dealt with that well, that some that took a little while to catch up, but that to me is like the sort of, that's almost like a real time issue that people needed to deal with. I think after that, and we all were sort of, you know, of course, at home, suddenly figuring out how to work with, as a sound, how to work with our clients to help them with that and increase teams and, and figure out that kind of level of additional support that they needed. Sort of then we moved into things driven a bit more by changes of behavior, which were, you know, people would like wanted to be able to, you know, purchase something. And we needed to be able to provide services like for those companies that were in a essential category and allowed to stay open, you know, we needed to help them provide experiences and ways of transacting that were safe. Right? So that uh, things like contactless payment systems became a really significant priority or the ability to you know, order something online, but pick it up curbside. So those, I would put them in the sort of the second bucket of, you know, once the immediate realization of what was happening kind of passed, we then had to move into really implementing some more functionality to meet the sort of changing consumer behaviors. And then, you know, lastly, I would say that, you know, some brands have been able to, you know, pivot or start to think about their business models a little bit differently in the light of the radical change that was being experienced. And some of the ones that I think did that most successfully and most quickly would be many of the sort of fitness companies in kind of a fitness category. So I think the fact that Peloton responded so fast with their 90 day free subscription to at home kind of online classes was, you know, fantastic from a brand perspective, very timely, providing real value, a really important service to people that potentially weren't customers of theirs at all previously, but likely will be in the longer term. So I think you see some sort of really interesting trends emerging in those three different kind of categories of reaction. Yeah. And I'm so glad you brought up the fitness category because I've seen so many cases, even Lululemon, which has been so known for its in-store events, its community-driven experiences, their ability to essentially digitize that using Instagram, Instagram Live as a platform to bring that community into the digital realm is so one, so powerful and so smart because, you know, they're bringing the best of the brand to digital and that allows them to fill that gap. But two, it's it's definitely sustainable, right? It can extend long before this situation is leveled out and we get more into recovery mode. I don't want to say normal because I don't even know if normal is going <laughs> to exist anymore, but it's something that can extend far beyond this period that we're in. So it's definitely a category to watch, number one. And two, I think it'll be interesting to see which of those trends will sustain beyond that. So yeah, I'm so I'm so glad you brought up that category in particular as one that has really adapted and and pivoted successfully. Right. I fully agree. I mean, as a, you know, a user of you know, many of those different sort of online services from different fitness companies, you know, I think that the value it brings isn't just for now. I think the convenience of being able to participate, to get that kind of direction, to be able to engage, you know, online is something that's going to be sustained regardless because of this, the shit, the convenience of it, I think is incredible. And as you say, it really reinforces brands and those brands that can provide you know, sustainable value that maybe is starting to extend a company that was previously in a very kind of apparel product 
space into broader services, you know, that really is the testament to the power of their brand and that they're sort of staying true to their brand purpose. Yep. Yep. So since we're on the topic of extension or which of these trends and behaviors will kind of have staying power, a lot of conversations now, I feel like, around what trends will stick and which are merely just trying to make up for a gap or or lag in in-person experiences and the ability to connect um, face-to-face, so to speak. I guess my question for you is, do you think that this shift to digital services, whether it be cloud classes or or even like you know some brands are doing video chat consultations now because they can't do it in store do you think a trend like that's going to have staying power is the shift to digital going to even accelerate even more i mean what, what which trends do you think are really going to be rising to the top and become core to retailer strategies moving forward rather than like a quick pivot because of you know the circumstances yeah, I think the you you referenced sort of more of a kind of personal stylist approach because if you you know through things like video chat for example, which I think is really interesting, I think for brands to be able to provide that level of kind of concierge service is really could be one that stays. I think it just it doesn't necessarily, you know, replace a physical experience, but I think it's a really interesting supplement to it. We at Astound through our Astound Labs business have developed a video shopping solution that uh, we're going to be launching with a, a number of clients of ours in Europe. And, you know, the initial driver behind that was if you can't go in store, then how do you as a consumer still get to kind of see what's there to be able to, you know, have that sort of store associate interaction and experience. But I think that it actually has some longevity past this current situation, you know, because of A, the convenience, but B, that kind of pers- level of personalized service, I think, is something that people really look for and expect increasingly. We're all looking for highly relevant, highly personalized, highly individualized experiences where we can engage with brands through a range of different channels. It's a very complicated ecosystem. And I think that solutions like those are going to continue. Oh, that's great. I'm glad you made reference to some of the work that Astound Commerce is doing, the conversations that you're having with brands and retailers, because my question for you is, how does the research tie into or support some of the conversations that you're having? Like, is it kind of reaffirming like, oh, geez, like this is a longstanding problem for our prospects and our customers and we really need to help them address it? Or, or did it help kind of uncover new talking points with your your clients as you kind of help them determine like how to move forward from this? I'm curious to see how those two those two worlds kind of meld together. Yeah, I think the insights that came from the research, they generally are, you know, data points that underscore what we perhaps more anecdotally believe to be happening. So, you know, we all experience as consumers, we're all bombarded with a lot of content and great information about what is happening. And I think that has helped us evolve our point of view around what's going to be important, make what's what are the solutions that we need to work with our clients on right now? What are the things that are going to kind of stay and evolve? And I think the research really helped us feel, you know, more certain of some of those things. 
So, you know, there was a good amount of findings around the need to be able to for curbside pickup, for example. And that is something that, you know, we're working to implement as a sound with some of our clients because, you know, we believe that that is going to be, you know, something that people look for because of its level of convenience, because it connects multiple channels that people engage with anyway, that you can order something quickly on your phone, drive by the store, pick it up, that even without the kind of health and safety issues that we have right now, that will be an important piece of functionality for our clients in retail to have. So it was definitely a a really great sort of underscoring, I think, of what we were perhaps feeling was happening and gave us some supporting data points. Yeah, that's great. And I think, if anything, the more conversations I have in the industry, whether it's, you know, analysts, consultants, retail executives, I think the one thing that's come out of it for me is just how closely integrated all of these components really are. I know just from our perspective, from an editorial standpoint, we largely focus on the customer-facing touch points of retail strategy. So all the marketing, the service, et cetera. But now more than ever, I feel like we're seeing how the back-end components, the back-end tech infrastructure, you know, the way we operate really impacts the front end, right? They're making the magic happen, uh, essentially. And that kind of ties to curbside, making those seamless, safe experiences a reality for customers. That requires a lot of work on the back end, right? And and I think it ties to one of the takeaways from, from the research that I found to be fascinating around the fact that inventory availability insight is still such a big challenge. And we've been talking about that for quite a while. So do you think that this research not only, I mean, it's obviously reaffirming some of the underlying issues that have been ever present in in the industry, but do you think that it's almost increasing urgency for retailers now because it's like, oh, well, if we want to do curbside pickup, we, we really need to figure out a way to get this underlying foundation set because that's what makes it successful. Yeah, I think that the, you know, the integration of those multiple complex backend systems is is critical and the acknowledgement of that is accelerating the need to pull together those different systems so that they're talking to each other and to move a lot of in retail a lot of those despite how fast moving it is a lot of those systems enable daily updates. So and that I think was one of the causes of people trying to order something, turn up to pick it up, find out that it's not in stock after all. It's been because those systems are not integrated and they're not updating in a real-time way. So I certainly think that that's going to need to get addressed and this has really kind of highlighted the need for that. You couple that with the kind of the, the, the people factor, right? That actually, you know, you actually also have to have people, you know, updating those things and checking inventory and so on that, uh, you know, it's a, it's a big issue. So yes, I totally agree with you that uh, it's really surfacing a lot of the focus and equally that the understanding of the customer right so not just you know can I manage and understand where my stock is but do you really understand your customer across all the different channels that you have so you know in the work that we're doing we're seeing not just implementations of wonderful commerce platforms, but how do those commerce platforms integrate with all of the others, right? With marketing platforms, with order management, et cetera, so that you're really able to provide you know, the customer with that relevant experience and the convenience of knowing that the product will be where they need it to be at the right time. And you're giving the employees the capability to really be able to see a complete view of the customer. So I think that's going to be something that people pay a great deal more attention to. 
Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really hope so because I feel like the acceleration of all of these trends, the increased urgency surrounding, again, these underlying issues that we've been talking about for, for a while now, I'm, I'm hoping that the conversations and, and the action within the retail business will, will continue to push forward because I feel like even though there have been so many great success stories and use cases, I mean, far beyond COVID-19 use cases, which I hope we can get into after this, but I feel like there, despite the value, there have always been like the cultural inhibitors, the red tape. I mean, a lot of these problems that have stopped retailers from acting. My question for you is, do you think these conversations or how organizations kind of approach conversations around taking swift action, innovating, are they going to start to change? Are they going to change like their mindset and and their willingness to make moves because of all of the all the shifts and, and all the pivoting that, that we've seen as a result of this? Well, I think you have some really interesting examples of where that's already happening. One of the areas that we focus on at Astound is the consumer packaged goods area. And we have all recognized that given the disruption in the kind of overall retailer world and the shortage of supply inventory that we've talked about, that consumers really want to find a way to be able to you know, get the consumer goods products that they need as quickly as possible. And that's going to often mean directly from their from that brand. So both PepsiCo and uh, I believe Kraft in the UK have really have recently launched in, I believe, less than 30 days, at least that's what they have said, direct-to-consumer businesses. PepsiCo's launched PantryShop.com as well as Snacks.com for their Frito-Lay business. And I think that that is something that has been being discussed within the consumer packaged goods sort of vertical for a really long time. But because it involves potential channel conflict with your, you know, retail channels, et cetera, you know, has continued to sort of spin and, you know, they've approached that relatively slowly. So the fact that those huge players in that category have moved so quickly, I think is a real indication that that sort of pace of change has accelerated and is likely to stay that way. Those are pretty bold moves, right? Yes, I love those examples, mainly because they go completely outside of the status quo or the traditional model of how they always did things, right? And that always tended to be the go-to statement or the, or the mantra for, I think, legacy businesses especially. It's like, well, this is the way we always, always did it, and it seemed to work okay, so why change anything? So like now it's like the urgency is there, and it doesn't just allow them to adapt, but it's new opportunity. It's, it's adapting to those consumer behaviors and expectations in the long term. So I, I'm very curious to see what other shakeups come out of CPG because, you know, I think you're 100% right. There have been some really fascinating use cases there. Right. And at the other end of that spectrum, there are a lot of much smaller brands that and retailers that have a physical presence that haven't yet invested in a digital one that are looking to do that really quickly too. We've developed a solution called Quick Start with Salesforce that is designed exactly at those two groups, right? The, the big kind of consumer goods companies, the small retailers that are looking to get their brands online really fast and you know provide that very much as a quick solution, but one that we can also manage for them so that those companies that don't necessarily have that direct-to-consumer commerce expertise in-house can really have a great kind of managed solution where we'll take all of that off their shoulders and run it for them as well. So I definitely think that is something that's going to give a huge number of brands a really fast kind of leg up into the world of selling directly online to their consumers. 
Oh, that's great. So so really leveling the playing field even more, because I think I saw an article, especially around DTC brands, like this situation is kind of heightening some of their gaps. You know, obviously, a lot of the times they're they're digital first, they're digitally native, but they may not have as robust as like of an infrastructure from a supply chain perspective. So figuring out like as a business, where are your strengths? Where are your gaps? And like, what do you, I guess we're orchestrating it towards like, what what does the customer need and expect not just right now, but in the future? I mean, it kind of helps create a playbook in a way as far as like, what do you need to do from an investment standpoint? Yeah, yeah, fully. No, that's excellent. So we talked a lot about the key trends that that Astounded is seeing, the conversations you're having with brands and retailers, a little bit about some offerings that that you're providing. I guess my question for you is I'm, I'm trying to ask all of our guests, especially those from the tech and commerce world, how their business is adapting in light of this to to better serve the industry, whether it's their, their customers or the industry as a whole. I mean, what, what else has been top of mind for Astound Commerce as as we continue to venture through this uh, journey of uncertainty together, has has this inspired you to venture into new business areas, new solutions and services? I mean, beyond what we've talked about already, of course, always curious to hear, you know, how, how key players are, are pivoting and adapting. Well, yeah, I mean, it definitely has. And I think we're, you know, everyone is still sort of waiting to see as well, like how the next period or two unfolds. But, you know, from our perspective, we suddenly see it as a, you know, a really kind of fertile opportunity for us to drive more innovation. And I think there are, you know, it's also making us think more specifically about particular verticals and types of business and to organize, you know, our solutions and make them very specific to them. You know, hence what I had just said about the consumer packaged goods area and what we've done there. We do a good amount of work outside of retail in the pharma and health life sciences category. And, you know, that's a category that has been relatively slow to move towards digital channels. They have a lot of, of course, regulatory restriction on what they're able to do. But as we see things like, you know, the in-person sales interaction between the company and the healthcare practitioner, for example, become frayed, right? You can't actually go in and meet somebody in person. That channel is disrupted immediately. So, you know, looking at what can digital provide where you have had a traditionally kind of in-person sales channel. So that's a category that's really interesting to us that we're looking and doing, you know, a good amount of work with. Similarly, I think we do a good amount of work with luxury. And I think that's a really interesting vertical also. I've, you know, they've tended to kind of, you know, bounce back. Obviously, many of them have like turned their manufacturing businesses to focus on some of the products that are really needed right now. So we work with Louis Vuitton, who, you know, were some of the first to take some of their manufacturing plants and begin to produce hand sanitizer rather than perfume, moving to producing, you know, PPE rather than some of the luxury clothes that they have done, which I think from a brand perspective is a great thing to have done, obviously from a human being perspective also. But as you think about the luxury experience in a retail kind of physical setting, the fact that that now maybe needs to be sort of scaled back, you can have fewer people in store at one time, the interaction between this, you know, the store associate and the potential customer, you know, needs to be very kind of carefully curated. You know, I've been hearing a lot that that is actually something that the luxury consumer will respond to really well, right? You're going and making a very expensive purchase, perhaps you do want to be able to 
book an appointment, make a specific time, have a very personalized experience when you are in the store. So I think that, you know, there's some really interesting things. So we're thinking about each of the different verticals that we work in and what are the very specific requirements that they have now and what other kinds of innovations are arising from these changes in consumer expectations and demand driven by what's happening now, but probably accelerating some things that were a little nascent. It's fascinating. And I'm, I'm hoping that you know, we'll be able to see these cases of innovation, of evolution uh, across industries. I think you shared so many great examples um, and th- there are so many great opportunities. So in light of all of the uncertainty and some of the negative and upsetting headlines, especially for, for retail right now, I'm hoping that we'll be able to continue to spotlight uh, and, and rise up those brands that are really doing some fantastic things. Because I, I do think that over time, we'll only see more cases of that. And I think you you shared a lot of great insight that hopefully will, will inspire everyone listening because I'm definitely inspired. I want to like make big moves right now. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent, Vanessa. Again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out. Before we go, because you have um, such vast experience in retail, you, you've had the chance to work with and experience so many different brands, I wanted to shake things up a little bit. Um, we do a rapid fire round with some of our guests, um, really to get their take on some of the top of mind trends, some real life examples that you find, especially inspiring the only rule, I guess you would say, is that you just say the first thing that comes to your mind, try not to think too much about the response. Uh, would you be down? <laughs> sure. Let's give that a whirl. All right. Awesome. Um, so first things first, who are your favorite retail experts and influencers to follow right now, especially with everything going on? Oh, um, so I recently read a really great article and open letter that was from a number of the designers, founders, CEOs in the fashion business that was an open letter to the fashion industry. You know, it included Tory Burch, for example. I don't recall all the other names off the top of my head, but I thought that was amazing. They were basically thinking about the issues that have been created. We've talked about many of the supply chain issues and, you know, inventory, et cetera. Fashion is super exposed from a inventory perspective because of the very seasonal nature of the business. You know, you've got your spring season and that should all be out and by now, and we should be almost into fall, honestly, if you followed the normal sort of fashion cycle. And they wrote this open letter saying, isn't it about time we actually started to change that? And maybe we could have in stores the clothes that people actually need and are wearing in the season that they happen to be in so that you're not filling a store with inventory for, you know, fall and winter, trying to make people buy winter coats in the middle of August. But it's just nonsense. And I thought that was really fascinating and I'm very interested to follow them and see what comes of that. Yeah, but I think that whole seasonality conversation is another really fascinating one that I hope to get into um, in a future episode because I really think the rules of planning are going to be changing because of not just what the consumer is expecting, but I mean, everything that retailers and brands are going to have to deal with now with all of this excess inventory and, and determining, you know, where does it even go? That's going to be interesting to see how all that shakes out. But it Digging deeper into you personally, professionally, what are you doing to stay sane and stay inspired right now? This could be even in your work or or even just personally to, to find that bit of lightness and time in your day. What, what's really what's really driving you? 
professionally in terms of what I'm trying to do to stay sane and inspired is, you know, I really am trying to, you know, focus on where the, you know, real innovation in the retail industry is coming from. And, you know, what seeds of that do we see in what is happening right now? And, you know, what consumer trends are there? And, you know, I want to say I'm also hopeful that some consumer behaviors will stay, that we won't necessarily demand things like, you know, real-time time shipping, all the time, same day delivery. Maybe we'll have got used to the fact that we have to wait a bit longer, which I think would be a generally good thing for our planet. In terms of personally, what do I do? We talked about some of the great fitness brands and what they're doing. You know, I can do, you know, an online yoga class, you know, and sneak that into the middle of my day and uh, get out there and walk. I got myself my Fitbit. So I'm kind of tracking on how all of that is going. And, you know, that is definitely something that I find keeps me sane and keeps my little labradoodle rather exhausted. You know, and from a company perspective, you know, we're trying to do some of those things together and we have, you know, regularly scheduled little kind of sanity check-ins and chats and, you know, share images of what people are up to at home and try and just make that as, as light and fun and just check in on people as much as we can. Great. Next question. What brand did you shop with last and what did they get right about the experience? What really stuck out to you? Well, um, this is not a particular fashion brands, spending less time with fashion and apparel brands right now, like many, but I recently decided to shop with actually one of our clients. Don't mean to give them a a huge plug, but we have a client called Burpee that are in the kind of garden category. And I bought lots of plants from them thinking that I would start to get massively into gardening actually right at the beginning of this sort of shutdown. And, you know, they didn't arrive. They didn't arrive. I heard that they were experiencing inventory problems. And I finally reached out to them to ask what was happening. And I was, to be honest, not expecting a response because I know that they've been really suffering from, you know, having a a workforce available, people working remotely, all of the issues. However, I almost immediately got a response back from their customer service team explaining that the plants that I had ordered, the first time that they looked at them, they didn't feel they were in very good condition. So they reordered them for me and they were on their way and they arrived yesterday and they're sitting out on my patio waiting to be planted. And I felt that from a customer service perspective, even though there was a lot of delay in the process, that actually their communication was really personal, very real, very responsive, and, you know, made it an actual great experience at the end of the day. Right. Actually delightful at the end of the day, right? Because even though at first it seemed like a hassle, you got something better out of it rather than getting it fast and not having the right or the best product. So that's a great example. Great. So what do you miss most about pre-COVID retail? That's a great question because I've been fairly much an online shopper for quite a while. (laughs) Um, So I'm like, when was the last time I went into a store? You know what? The last time I went into a store was Bloomingdale's. It was the weekend before everything shut down. I went to buy my daughter's prom dress. It was a very eerie experience because already the stores and the mall that we were in were very, very quiet. But it was a wonderful experience, you know, shopping with my daughter. It was lovely to get her prom dress. Well, aside the fact that we don't know if she'll have a prom yet or not. But the fact that we could do that together was wonderful, right? It was a really great experience from a, you know, a relationship perspective, spending time with my daughter. And I think that the way that shopping is evolving to be much more of a solitary experience where you, you know, you stand in line, you're very separate. I feel like shopping at the heart of it is a very social experience. It's about bonds and, you know, it's expressing love and affection and who you are and who you, all of those things. And I think that that is something that we need to find 
find a way to build into the online experience more than we have done currently, because it's a sad thing that we can't do that in the same way any longer. Yeah. You may have already sort of answered it with with your last response, but my last question for you is what trend or topic is making you most excited about post-COVID retail? Well, as as you might have heard, I'm, you know, I'm very interested in how we can apply more of a sustainability lens to the retail world, you know, particularly the apparel industry that is responsible for so much of everything, you know, from emissions to, you know, excess product that doesn't necessarily even get recycled you know, the, the impact, all the packaging, et cetera. So the impact from that industry on the environment is absolutely huge. So I believe that there are aspects of what's happening today that will really positively impact that whole industry going forward, right? Whether it is about changes to the supply chain that will build in a lot of flexibility, that will bring the supply chain much closer so that we're not sourcing materials in one place, moving them, manufacturing them somewhere else and shipping them across the world again to then go through multiple other delivery phases. Potentially, I'd like to see some of that change, paying more attention to packaging, to, you know, expectations of delivery time, you know, and also just really rethinking our model of ownership, which isn't to say that retail isn't still important and people won't still want to, you know, buy things, but to really think about the value of what we buy and, you know, whether we should be making that purchase or not. There was a great letter by the founder of Rag and Bone. If you take a look on his website, you can see it where he talks about how this has really made him think about his purchases and does he want to buy multiple items or one really well-made, well-designed, well-manufactured to purchase and you know, I think that we've all had to make choices about what we've been buying recently and like that focus on what's essential versus what's not has made us think properly about what it is that we're consuming. And I hope that that's a trend that will continue. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Vanessa, I think we've taken up enough of your time today. Again, thank you so much for uh, taking the time out, for sharing such thoughtful responses and sharing more about that astound commerce research. We'll be sure to share that in the show notes for everyone if they want to download that and give that at a quick skim. But thank you again so much for uh, taking the time out. Really such great, great insights on trends, topics, and, and I think takeaways that I think all of the retail executives listening can hopefully apply to their business. Well, great. Well, it was lovely to have the conversation with you. Thank you very much for inviting me and hopefully enjoy the rest of your day. Yep, you as well. And uh, thanks everyone out there for listening. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>